Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is the OG RS, the original great Robert Silver. And today I will be bragging like a motherfucker. Because like I stated last week, I said Frank Martin was going to put on a virtuoso performance. We'll talk about it. Because once again, your boy was 100% correct on a prediction. Before we get we get to Frank Martin against Michelle Rivera, we'll talk about the two fights on the undercard that was held in Vegas before the main event, Frank Martin versus Michelle Rivera. Another Q&A session, and this week, instead of my usual historical overview of the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years, I will be giving out my first annual Pound for Pound Boxing Awards. So that'll be the end of the podcast. But let's start off with, it just finished, the card. Saturday night, Las Vegas. In the very first fight, we saw Vincent Astrolabio, another Filipino fighter who almost killed Guillermo Ringendal in his last fight. And Ringendal's done. He'll never fight again. He went and fought Nikolai Potapev, undefeated fighter, 118-pound division, the winner to get a shot. The winner was supposed to get a shot at Nioa Inoue, but Inoue's never fighting at 118 again. Inoue's going to take his undisputed title, hand him back to all the criminal cartel organizations, and move up to 122, hopefully to fight Stephen Fulton. Anyway, so the winner of this fight probably gets a chance to fight for the vacant title. And Vincent Astrolabio fought beautiful. He fought beautiful. He came, he was throwing combinations. Um, He dropped Potapev in the first round with a left hook. And then in the fifth round, after a beautiful combination, knocked him down again. And then in the sixth round, he poured it on and he knocked out Potapev. Round number six, Astrolabio continues, continues to terrorize the Bantamweight division after he destroyed Guillermo Rigondeaux. Astrolabio is a power-punching, aggressive fighter with Boundless energy. I would call him a poor man's Manny Pacquiao, his countryman. He doesn't have the angles Pacquiao has. He doesn't have the speed Pacquiao has. But he's just as aggressive and just as busy. And he's going to be a problem for anybody at 118, whether it's the Maloney brothers, Nonino Donaire, you name it. He's going to be a problem. The only guy he won't be a problem for, he doesn't have to worry about. Because if he fought Inoue, in his next fight, Anori will put his aggressive ass in the hospital. But kudos to Vincent Astrolabio. Tough motherfucker. He beat up a good boxer. He beat the hell out of um, Potapev. It was a one-sided beating. And then, in one of the most entertaining one-sided fights you'll ever see, Vladimir Shishkin fought Jose Uscadegay. Now, Uscadegay is a brawler. He's not much of a boxer. He's a brawler. He tries to he tries to knock you out with that he's got a beautiful right cross. Like he did with Andre Durrell in their second fight where he batted him with that right hand. In which he hurt Caleb Plant when he lost to Caleb Plant with that right hand. In this fight, he landed that right hand one too many times from uh for me. Shishkin fought a 
fought a, a decent fight. He he countered a lot because Uscada Gay gives you a lot of opportunities to counter. So Shishkin was doing what he was supposed to do, boxing from the outside. But Shishkin, he throws that jab out too. He keeps that jab out there too long. And Uscada Gay hit him with right cross after right cross the entire second half of the fight. Now, Shishkin won most of the rounds. I had Shishkin winning nine, ten rounds. So he deserved the decision. But Shishkin's defense is putrid. And that defense is going to get him massacred against other 168-pound fighters. He could never beat Canelo, Charlo, Plant, ben, uh, Benavides, or Morel with that putrid defense. He's got to do something. He's got Sugar Hill, one of the best trainers in the sport, as his trainer. Sugar Hill's going to have to have him watch the videotape and say, look, you got to do something about your defense because your defense is going to get you knocked out in the very, very talent-laden 168-pound division. Nevertheless, solid win. Um, but I don't right now. I don't see him beating any of those five fighters I mentioned. Even I don't see him beating Demetrius Andrade because Andrade is a cutie who gives you a lot of movement and, and boxes. Shishkin gets hit too often with that right hand. These guys are gonna. Counter that jab because he keeps it out there too long and land wicked right hand, especially Morello and Benavides who have beautiful right hands. Now, on to the main event. As I predicted on last week's podcast, I said that this was a no-brainer. Dave, uh, Frank Martin is special. I've been saying that on this podcast for two and a half years, that Frank Martin is special. Frank Martin reminds me of a hybrid between Mark Two Sharp Johnson and Stevie Little Bad Johnston. Now, if you know, you know, all right? For you guys that never heard of Mark Two Sharp Johnson, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast because I did a historical overview of Mark Two Sharp Johnson, the greatest flyweight I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. And Stevie Little Bad, Little But Bad Johnson, Johnston was a technical wizard who was only 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, and he reigned as a lightweight champion for for several years in the late 90s. And he thought he got robbed against Jose Luis Castillo. He he fought everybody. He, and he was brilliant. He gave Angel Man Freddy a boxing lesson and a half. When I see Frank Martin, with the he has the counter punching ability of Stevie Little but Bad Johnston. He has the speed and combination punching of Mark Two Sharp Johnston. And he's a southpaw like those two guys. And he's gifted defensively like these two guys. Like I said last week, Frank Martin is special. Mitch Michelle Rivera is not special. He's a good fighter. He will never be a great fighter. Oh, cause he looks like Felix Trinidad or Muhammad Ali. He even got the nerve to say Michelle Ali Rivera? No, no. You're not a pimple on either guy's ass. I never saw anything special in Michelle Rivera. He's not a world beater. He'll beat the middle of the road guys, but he will never beat a Frank Martin, a Devin Haney, a Shakur Stevenson, a Javante Davis, a Ryan Garcia. He can't beat any of those guys. He's not that good. You got to be great today at 135. Rivera is not that good. He's good. But not great. Frank Martin is special, and he's going to be great. And 
Kudos to all my Detroit listeners Because I told all y'all on Twitter And I've been telling people on this podcast He was the next great fighter Born in Detroit to become an all-time great And Frank Martin I want to see him fight Raleigh Ramirez next He will beat the shit out of that rapist It'll be a one-sided beating He'll make Raleigh the rapist Ramirez miss all night long Put it in the bank All right Frank Martin, unreal. Tremendous, tremendous performance. Now we go on to the question and answer portion of the podcast. Here we go. Let me, uh, let me see. Uh, Ask Rob Silver. Let me get that. Let me get that. All right. Here we go. Ask Rob Silver. LL School K, once again, gives me a beautiful question. He gave me a, uh, the YouTube clip of Big George Foreman versus Lou Savarese, April 26, 1997. And he asked me, thoughts on this bout. This was the last great performance of George Foreman's iconic and historic career. He fought beautiful in this fight. Well, no, you know what? Let me take that back. This wasn't his last great performance because his last fight against Shannon Briggs in which he was robbed was his last great performance. Against Savarese, uh, LL, he jabbed beautifully. This is an old man. This is a man who's 47, 48 years old. 48, 48, 49 going into this fight. I'm, I'm, he was 45 when he won the title in 94. This is 97, so he's 48. And he fought beautifully against Lou Savarese, who was no chump. Lou Savarese was a decent heavyweight and much younger than George. And Savarese had a legitimate shot at beating Foreman because Foreman was way past his prime. Because if you saw Foreman in 95 against Axel Schultz, he looked done. But no. Foreman went out there. He jabbed the hell out of Savarese. He threw combinations. He looked like he drank the fountain of youth in this fight, winning, winning convincingly and Man, and I, I know LL School K idolizes George Foreman, and that's a great man, LL, to idolize because he turned his life around. Back in 1977, when he lost to Jimmy Young, he said he saw Jesus Christ in the locker room, and he turned his life to God. He became a minister. And while being a minister in Houston, Texas, he wanted to do something about the gang violence in Houston. So he wanted to build a community center and he went to the political leaders and none of them could give him funding. So what did George do? He decided to return back to boxing in order to secure the money to build the youth center to help save young black children in his hometown of Houston, Texas. George Foreman is a great man. George Foreman is a man that we should all honor. Big George Foreman. All right, let me see what's the next question here. Oh, this is a fun question. I'm in a good mood, so I'm going to answer this question. Jesus Salas asks, I will put you briefly in the role of Sir Mix-a-Lot. What are your top five most awesome booties of all time? Sir Mix-a-Lot ain't got nothing on me when it comes to uh, the love of the big booty. I have been dating, I am 54 years old, since I was... 19 years old, you could say 18 because I had a brief fling at 18 with a girl. All right, since I was 18. So let's just say since I was 18. 36 years. 
Every woman I ever dated was short with a big button smile. And I mean, that is my type, right? Whenever my mother meets a woman for the first time that I'm dating, her famous words are always, they all look the same, Rob. They all look the same. So real quick, in no particular order, my five greatest booties of all time, and these are women with a big butt and a smile. Serena in her prime, when she was dominating uh, tennis, before she lost a lot of weight, before she got married, before she had a baby, her ass was incredible, right? Uh, let me see now. So many to choose from. She would be in my top five. Mary J. Blige, one of the greatest asses in music history. The first time I saw that ass on a music video, I lost my fucking mind because music executives weren't pushing women built like that, built with that thickness. So we've got Serena, we've got Mary. I know who my top two are, so I got to put one in between uh I know who my one and two are. I'm not going to mention them just now. I got to remember, I'm doing, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Who would I put? Oh, you know who has an incredible ass? I'm going to put her there. Uh, Jordan Woods. Jordan Woods, the woman that allegedly had an affair with Tristan Thompson behind his uh, horrible looking wife. And she was a friend of hers. And there was a legend affair. If you look at Jordan Woods. She looks She's built Physically And has the same, same type of smile As my girlfriend Mia So yes Jordan Woods number three Number two Trina the, the legendary rapper from Miami Even at 44 Her ass is perfect She's incredible And she looks like my ex-girlfriend Nika The spitting image with the same type of body Trina And my number one is Nicki Minaj Who looks like my ex-girlfriend Vonette Built the same way And they're both from Trinidad Both same skin complexion That caramel beautiful skin tone And the same type of pretty face With a smile and a booty to die for So I run it down Serena Serena Early signs of dementia I, I mentioned Serena uh, Mary J. Serena, Mary J. Blige, Jordan Woods, Trina, and Nicki Minaj. Those are my top five booties of all time. Now on to a couple of serious questions. First, from Nice Guy Eddie on Twitter, constant um listener and contributor to the podcast. And Eddie writes, after hearing you talk about boxing commentators this week, it got my curi curiosity on your take of Larry Merchant. I grew up watching HBO Boxing, and he was a big part of what I remember. At the time, I liked hearing him, but I know he has his critics, and I personally have to go back and listen again to his commentaries to get an honest take as a more mature boxing fan. Maybe you've covered this before, but I'm curious to hear your take on him. No, I haven't been thorough about Larry Merchant and, in my opinion, his overrated commentary on HBO. First and foremost, 
he sounded either drunk or asleep half the times he was on the broadcast team. He was always carried by Jim Lampley. I think Jim Lampley looked at him as a grandfather figure. Larry Merchant, when I first started watching boxing in 1977, Larry Merchant was already working with HBO. Back then he looked 65, right? And that, ladies and gentlemen, was 45 years ago. Since I was nine years old, he's looked like an old man. And he's still around. Thank God he no longer commentates. Larry Merchant is biased. He is biased. He was biased. He probably still is. You know, oh, an old dog. An old dog doesn't uh, change his patterns. When Larry Merchant was announcing for HBO, he was biased towards brawlers. He got his dick hard. By watching brawls. He was in love with the Arturo Gaddis and Mickey Wards of the world. Two fighters who were very limited. Two fighters who were a step above a club fighter. Right? These two guys had barbaric skills. Because whenever they fought real fighters, they got their ass kicked. Arturo Gaddi, when he fought Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather, he got his ass beat from pillar to post. But when he fights somebody on his level, he get in a brawl, and Larry Merchant would be like, oh, oh, Arturo Gatti! Larry Merchant used to consider fighters like Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, and Andre Ward boring. He would be like, oh, oh, Floyd won't take any chances. Larry Merchant, why would Floyd take chances? You, Larry Merchant predated Twitter, predated social media, where, oh, well, Floyd didn't take any chance. Why would Floyd or Pernell Whitaker in their prime want to engage toe-to-toe with a fighter when that's the only way that fighter could beat them? Larry Merchant with the nonsense. Every time he announced, oh, they're boring. Oh, you could tell that Larry Merchant didn't want these guys on the network because he preferred the Arturo Gaddis and Mickey Wards of the world. So, Eddie, those are my thoughts on Arturo. Well, you already know my thoughts on Arturo Thunder Gaddy. Forget him. Forget that woman beater. Forget him. Um, those are my thoughts on Larry Merchant, overrated color commentator who was either drunk or half asleep half the time on the broadcast, and then when he was awake, Oh, they're so boring. Oh, Floyd won't take any chances. Bernard, oh. But he loved the Ricardo Mayorgas, Fernando Vargas's, Arturo Gaddis, and Mickey Wards of the world because they were blood and guts. <sighs> to each his own. Me? I've always preferred the stylist. And that's why Roy Jones was 5,000 times better than Merchant. And Roy Jones, many a time, would put Larry Merchant in his place. Well, Larry Merchant was like, oh, oh Roy, but he, he, won't, he won't engage. And Roy was like, you've never been in the ring, Larry. Why the fuck are you talking? <laughs> All right, so that ends the question and answer session for the week. Now... I am going to go and discuss my year-end awards for 2022. We will start 
with the comeback fighter of the year. And the comeback fighter of the year is a guy that was the most avoided fighter of the last couple of years. And that's Regis Progray. Former WBC junior welterweight super lightweight champion. Lost the title three years ago in a great fight to Josh Taylor. Who went on to become the undisputed junior welterweight champion of the world. Taylor gave up two of his belts. Taylor refused to fight Progray. Gave, he didn't want to give Progray a rematch. Nobody wanted to fight Progray until finally the WBC, three years after Progray lost the title, finally gave him his rematch that he deserved three years ago. He didn't get another shot for three years. Nobody would fight him. He fought three bums in the last three years because nobody at 140 wanted to fight Regis Progray. Well, he finally got his opportunity against Jose Cepeda, and he put on an incredible performance before knocking out Cepeda in the 11th round to regain the WBC championship. And now, once again, he is a world champion at 140, and there are so many great fights for him to make, and he wants to fight them all. And Regis Progray will be a tough out for anybody at 140, whether it's Gary Antoine Russell, whether it's... Tank Davis, whether it's Ryan Garcia, he will brutalize Teofimo Lopez, who is not the same fighter that beat Lomachenko a couple years ago. He's not the same fighter. He's lost something. He's lost. He left something in the ring when he lost to Cambosis. Right? Uh, he would brutalize Teofimo Lopez, in my opinion. So that's my comeback fighter of the year. Now, my trainer of the year, once again. He led Jamel Charlo to becoming the undisputed junior middleweight champion of the world. He led Errol Spence to now being the WBC, IBF, and WBA champion this year. And as I just mentioned, he trained Frank Martin and led him to a virtuoso performance against Michelle Rivera. That is, in my opinion, the modern day Georgie Benton, the great Derek James, who is my trainer of the year and, in my opinion, should be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame as soon as possible. He is my trainer of the year. Network of the year is Showtime. Showtime showed tremendous fights all year long. Charlo Castagna rematch. Uh, you, you had, uh, and of course, just a few hours ago, they showed two of the best lightweights, young lightweights in the world, face each other in a crossroad fights in Michelle Rivera and Frank the Ghost Martin. The zone had too many one-sided mismatches. Top rank ESPN had one too many mismatches. Showtime, month in and month out with Showbox and their regular Showtime championship boxing program had the best fights pound for pound. For your money's worth. So that's my next. So, so far we have comeback fighter of the year, Regis Progray, trainer of the year, Derek James, network of the year, Showtime, upset of the year. Upset of the year, I have to give to. I had. I, I, wait a minute. How did I forget the upset of the year? I'm doing all this off the top of my head. I didn't write any of this down because uh, I did a. A, a program earlier this week Where I mentioned my um, upset of the year My upset of the year 
Upset of the year is Hector Garcia's upset of Chris Colbert. Chris Colbert went in that fight a huge favorite, and Garcia exposed Chris Colbert, beat him like a drum, and now Chris Colbert is not the same. I always said Chris Colbert was overrated. When they were talking about uh, upcoming lightweights, they were in junior lightweights. They co- they were comparing him to Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, and Frank Martin. I said he's the worst of them, and I was right. Now Hector Garcia has a chance to gain another upset when he fight when he fights in three weeks, three weeks from tonight. Tank Davis. I'll give my rundown on that fight in a couple of weeks when I do my prediction for that fight. But I'll just say this one one thing. Hector Garcia is a live underdog going into that fight. All right. So that's my upset of the year. Round of the year is round seven of the Sebastian Fundura versus Erickson Lubin fight. Seventh round, Fundura was beating the hell out of Lubin, and then with 30 seconds left, Lubin knocked him down, and Fundura was out on his feet. The bell saved Fundura. What a great round, and it's also my fight of the year because that was a, oh, my God. God and Lubin quit after the ninth round. He had taken a severe beating, and he didn't know that he was ahead on two of the three scorecards by one point. But he was brutal. He was brutally batted. I'm not sure he could have won one more round to at least secure a draw in the last three. I need a rematch between Fedor and Lubin. Lubin fought his ass off. The best, probably the best performance of his career against a guy that was goddamn eight inches taller than him. So uh, kudos to. Eric Salubin, because even though he lost, he won because he proved to the world that he had the heart to compete at 154. So that was my round of the year, round seven of the Sebastian Fendura versus Eric Salubin fight. And it was my fight of the year. Now for my knockout of the year. And my knockout of the year goes to Lee Wood in, an, in, in a fight that could have easily been my fight of the year, a great back and forth with Michael Conlon for Lee Woods' uh, alphabet 126-pound featherweight uh, title in the 12th round as they went toe-to-toe in another round that could have been round of the year. Wood knocks Conlon out of the ring and damn near kills him to win by knockout to retain his title. Conlon was out on the concrete floor for several minutes and I thought his career was over Colin came back to win two fights since then and was my runner up for comeback fight of the year because within this year in last week he came back and won by first round knockout against Kareem Graf- a Gr- it's hard to say his name Gurfi K- uh, Kareem Gurfi who's a solid fighter um, so uh, kudos to Michael Collin like Erickson Lubin even though he was on the short end of a brutal war, his stock went up just like Erickson Lubin because Conlon showed so much heart. And Conlon, up until that fight with Wood, in my opinion, was considered a disappointment coming off his iconic amateur career for, 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 um, for his native island. But no, he, he was phenomenal in that fight against Lee Wood. Gave Lee Wood hell. 
Lee Wood knocked him out. Now, Lee Wood is looking for a major fight, maybe against the Luis Alberto Lopez or Gary Russell at 126 pounds. So there you go. That is my knockout of the year. And now, the most important award is the fighter of the year. And that, ladies and gentlemen, can only be one person. To me, nobody else is in the conversation but Dimitri Baval, who won two convincing decisions against two Mexican fighters that people thought were invincible. First, he beat the consensus pound-for-pound best fighter in the world back in May against Canelo Alvarez, and he gave Canelo Alvarez a technical boxing lesson behind that great left jab of his. Baval has one of the best jabs. The only guy that I would say has a better jab than Baval in the sport right now is Nayoe Inoue. That jab was in Canelo's face all night long. He walked Canelo down. He was beating Canelo up against the ropes. Now, Canelo was trying to break him down by banging the Baval's shoulders, but Baval is too strong. He's too big. Baval easily defeated Canelo Alvarez, and then he put on an even greater performance against Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez in a virtuoso performance where he easily won 10 or 11 of those 12 rounds. He completely dominated Ramirez more than he did Canelo, and that's saying a lot because he dominated Canelo. Dimitri Baval is... The Fight Game Media Pound for Pound 2022 Fighter of the Year. So, let's run down the awards before we end this podcast. My Trainer of the Year is Derek James. My Network of the Year is Showtime. My Comeback Fighter of the Year is Regis Progre. My Upset of the Year is Hector Garcia over Chris Colbert. My round of the year, round seven, Sebastian Fedora versus Erickson Lubin. My fight of the year, Sebastian Fedora versus Erickson Lubin. My knockout of the year, Lee Wood's 12th round knockout of Michael Conlon when he knocked him completely out the ring. My fighter of the year is, of course, Dimitri Baval. Now, normally... On an older podcast, I used to give an event of the year. Um, I'm not giving an event of the year this year. All I'm going to say is we had the non-event of the year, and that was the breakdown in negotiations between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. That would have been the event of the year. Instead, it was the non-event of the year. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll be back next week. Please. Flood me with, 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 with uh, questions because there are no fights next week. Next week being Christmas Eve when I will be, uh, I, I probably, I'll probably uh, do this. I probably, I'm working Christmas Eve. So I will probably record the podcast Christmas Day because I'll definitely be off Christmas Day. And you'll be getting next week's podcast right before New Year's. So I think next week's podcast is going to be a bunch of question and answers and I will also do my historical overview of I believe Evander Holyfield's iconic career my number 12th greatest fighter of the last 45 years so that'll be next week so be, please hashtag ask Rob Silver 
on Twitter for any questions, or you can email me, robertsilver57 at hotmail.com. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I want to wish everybody a very, very, very Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. If you don't celebrate it, happy staying in your house because you got the day off day. <laughs> happy holidays to everybody out there, and be blessed and be a blessing. <laughs>